0: i see a people who are expectant i see a people who love jesus i see a people who love the word of god (laughs) amen praise god so um i know you had a powerful message last week on forgiveness and uh, the week before that i started a message on family God's primary shield and I highlighted to you a few interesting things and I made the points that one of the marks of a functional family is a functional family has maintenance remember that and I said a functional family has nurture and I said a functional family has inclusion And I said, a functional family has differentiation. And if you missed that message, please, you can catch up on the website. We've got a wonderful website with lots of information for you there. And I'm going to continue talking about how a functional family looks. And I'm addressing two main groups this morning. Firstly, those of you who've been in dysfunctional families. How many of you know most families out there are dysfunctional? It's become the norm. And if you come from such a background, I want to encourage you because this message will show you where the gaps, the cracks and the leakages are in your life. And you'll know where you need healing. But I also want to speak to those of you who are counselors or those of you who are starting families, or continuing with your current families, right? and you need to have a vision to know this is what a biblical family looks like. This is what my role is as father, my role is as mother, my role is as husband. Amen. And so we're going to go deep into this, and I trust that you'll be ministered to and you'll be blessed. I want to encourage you with our messages, uh, what Pastor Vim has been doing, which has been really great, is she's been doing prayer strategies for us, and she's really taken them to another level. I used to do them, but she's taken them to another level. And I want to encourage you, I won't WhatsApp them to you all the time, right? You will actually find them on the website. We literally religiously make sure they're on our website by Sunday night or early Monday morning so that you can be praying through them. So please be accessing those. We'll also use them during Ignite and um, I think you'll be blessed. Are you ready, ladies and gentlemen? Are you steady, ladies and gentlemen? I always wondered what that meant when people say, yeah, we're now steady. Me and that guy, we're now steady. What were you before? I'm just asking, right, the fifth thing that functional families have in them, the fifth thing that they impart to each other, to the family members, is what we call esteem, esteem, not, not steam as in steam from water, when you boil water. <laughs> I know sometimes our English can struggle, we can struggle with it a bit. Uh, I'm talking about esteem. I'm talking about self-esteem. I'm talking about esteeming one another highly. I'm talking about honoring each other. i mean, if you feel that you can't walk in freedom if you're not walking in healthy esteem. And many of us end up bound in our lives because in the family that we grew up in, there was no esteem that was communicated to us. Are you following this morning? All right. We did not feel esteemed. And so we end up running after all sorts of things because of a low self-esteem but when i look at genesis chapter 1 verse 27 the bible says so god created man in his own image now some of you think oh man so is that just guys no it says god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him oh so is it just speaking about guys no it says male and female he created them so it's talking about mankind, created in the image of God, males and females. Say to the person next to you, I was created in the image of God. Do you know what that means? It means that there are certain attributes that God has, that he gives to mankind. Isn't that beautiful? God is a ruler and he wants you to rule. So when he says, go and take dominion of the earth, go and subdue the earth, he's basically saying, go and be godlike." God is loving. He created mankind in his image. Not animals. He created us in his image. So whenever that image of God is distorted in a father or in a mother, the children grow up with a skewed view of what God is like. And it messes up their relationship with God. And they have to do a lot of mind renewal, really renewing their minds to understand this is what God is like. Mothers here, fathers here, are you reflecting the image of God to your children? That is one of the purposes of marriage. That our children look at mom and look at dad and look at mom and dad together and they have a clear picture of what God is like. When we have a revelation of this, it affects how we speak to each other. We will reinforce this belief through our words. This is that sense of worth, that sense of dignity, where the other person feels like they matter. How many of you know that part of your self-esteem is a sense of significance? What is a sense of significance? It's that sense of I matter. One of my books is on self-esteem, building a self-esteem. I encourage you to read that book. It's very, very powerful. It's very powerful with regards to how you see yourself. You see, I will lead my family to the degree to which I'm reflecting Christ to them. So I need to figure out what is God's view of my wife. And I need to make sure that in how I speak to her, I'm reflecting and reinforcing God's words. I'm reflecting and I'm reinforcing God's heart. Amen? To the degree to which I do that, I will lead my family effectively. We have to say as parents, what is God's heart over this child or that child? and we reinforce god's words over the child and that's why prayer is important where we're seeking god's face and saying god what are you saying to this person and this is the sad thing in the church because i can give my wife a prophetic word and i can say god sees you doing this and this and this and i can say all sorts of wonderful things but then those words are not reinforced by my ordinary words on a day-to-day basis so we see sometimes there's a dichotomy between what we say when we're in a religious setting And what we say when we're casually having lunch or when we're doing administrative tasks with each other. Are you hearing this morning? Healing, I said to you last time, healing takes place in community. I know there are a few people who say, I went up to some mountain for two years and I came back and I'm now a whole person. But how many of you know that primarily God will heal you in community? What do I mean by that? You see, God will free up people. We prayed for people. Things were broken off people this morning. But how many of you know that as we relate to each other, God has called us in a setting of a community to show the person that, you know what, you're actually loved. You don't need to go to that particular thing to find love. You don't need to look to that relationship to find love. How many of you know they're addictive relationships? But if someone grows up in an environment where what's being reinforced is that you're loved, you're worth so much, you are beautiful. They don't have to go out looking for it. Amen? So, this is very important. I remember counseling a young girl some years ago. I think it was the parents who had asked me to do so. And this, this young girl, little little girl at junior school age, I think it was, or adolescent, somewhere there, she was struggling with social phobia, extreme shyness. And as I explored the notion with her, She ended up saying to me that, you know what tends to happen? When people ask me a question about myself, my mom will answer for me. How many of you are like that as parents? Where people go to your child and and they'll say, so what sports do you like? And you step in, well, she really likes ballet nowadays, but we tried tennis last year, but it didn't really work out. Or how many of you have an older sibling who used to do that to you? And what we started seeing was that her sister had the same issue. This extreme shyness. They'd become lazy when it came to speaking because they didn't feel they were good enough at speaking because the mom was probably a perfectionist, answered all the questions on her behalf. Are you following me this morning? You see, when you want to reinforce the esteem of someone else, you're trying to show them that, you know what, you've got something to say. And you are worth listening to. You know that when you truly listen to someone, not just the highlights, when you truly listen to another human being, they leave your presence feeling significant as a person. They feel like, "Who I'm worth being, being listened to. Amen? So there are certain practices that we have that ruin the esteem of the people around us. If you, if you grew up in a family where your parents were domineering, controlling, where they were like tanks, where they would speak over you and finish your sentences. After a while, you actually just start thinking, well, I'm not worth much. What's the point of me speaking? I've got no place here. How many of you grew up in families where you're told children must be seen, not heard? Just think about it. How did it impact you? And how is it impacting your confidence today? And why is it that someone who's half as clued up as you can confidently give a presentation at work and you who's so clever, you get stage fright beforehand. Find out where these things come from because God wants to free us up. Can I hear an amen? amen. You see, if you look in scripture, in Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11, the Bible says, for I know the plans I have for you. That's wonderful. You know the, you know the meaning of the word plan? Plan. To plan is to prepare the details beforehand. That's what it is. Planning is preparing the details beforehand. So God is basically saying, I know the details of your life that I've already prepared beforehand. We see that in Ephesians 2. That he's already prepared in advance good works for us to do. That's how significant you are in God's eyes. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for what? It says, plans to prosper you. So already we realize that God wants us to prosper. Amen? God wants that fruit tree to flourish. That apple tree that my wife was talking about to flourish. And he already has a plan to get you there. That is powerful, ladies and gentlemen. So the trick is figuring out what that plan is. It says here, plans for you to prosper. And not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That is extremely powerful. Sadly, in many families, they have plans for your doom. They say to you, you'll never make it. Each time you share your dream, each time you share your vision, someone will say, no, that won't work. Some of you have spouses like that. No, that won't work. And if you notice, they always say it like that. No, that won't work. Right? (laughs) Right? Instead of actually saying, wow, God has a plan for you to prosper and I want to reinforce that plan. I want to help you see. I want to help you dream. I want to help you as a mirror would for you to see God's purpose for your life. We're talking to a friend yesterday and we're just talking about our different friends from university back in the 90s where some of them were not leaders in our church there. They were not leaders, but because of who they got married to, all of a sudden they feel like they can change the world. Why? Because these were spouses that reinforced their esteem. Are you following me this morning? Others we saw were great leaders at university, but because of who they got married to, maybe people who didn't have a great dream, maybe people who didn't like the church or got hurt by the church, they're not reinforcing the purposes of God in those women. Who you get married to is crucial. I want to encourage you husbands, reinforce the purpose of God in your spouse. Cause them to see themselves differently. How many of you know that some men are called to restore? I still remember watching a particular movie and there was this lady and she was shying away from love. She had done all sorts of things in her life. She didn't feel like she was worthy. And this good-looking, strong Christian guy, you know, it was in one of the Tyler Perry movies, right? Right? And he said a statement I'll never forget. He said, you know what? Some men are called to restore. Some men are called to restore. Gentlemen in this room who are married, what is it that God has called you to restore in your spouse? Ladies in this room, what is it that God has called you to restore in your husband that the enemy had stolen? The Bible says, Paul speaks to Timothy, and he says, "God the deposit was placed in you there's a deposit in each person here it might be spiritual gifts it might be the values that you grew up with we have to guard those but how many of you know that there's some who are called to fan the flame of that particular deposit that you've forgotten about and god wants us to be in families that do so john 14 verse 12 very truly i tell you this is jesus speaking whoever believes in me, these works that you see me doing, you will do also. You will do also. Say to the person next to you, Jesus believes in me. And it's not just a belief in you where it's like, ah, you're a nice guy, you're special, but just remain in that corner. He says, whoever believes in me, These works that you guys are seeing me doing and you're blown away by like, oh, he's raising the dead, he's doing these amazing things. He's walking in such authority unlike the scribes and Pharisees. These works that you see me doing, you will do greater. Question, are you surrounding yourself with people who have the same view as Jesus? Are you surrounding yourself with people who also look at you and say, You know what? What you're doing is just here at this level, a low level, but you could be doing way more. I believe in you. I see what Jesus sees. Are we doing that with our children? Are we showing them the greatness that's in them? Are you following me this morning? I'm hoping you're seeing the gaps and cracks and leakages that were there as you were growing up. The things that discouraged you. And sometimes it wasn't our parents who were horrible. Sometimes they were just absent. So there were other people who came in between. Maybe it was at boarding school where people just say, you're a loser. How many of you were told told that at boarding school? I remember when I first went to boarding school and I was in grade six. And I remember I was following around certain guys. Our dads were friends, so I thought those would be my friends. And I remember one guy looking quite irritated, turning around me and saying, come on, just stop following me. I was just following him around. I was trying to walk like how he walked because it seemed like it was cool. I've now realized that the way I walk is cool. All right? How many of you had those experiences? I still remember preaching the gospel when I was um, was about 12 years of age. And I remember a guy, he was one of the big rugby guys, um, I was also into rugby, by the way. I was in the A team, and our team was very good because of my speed. Okay, so I'm not big, but was, but I'm fast. But anyway, he was one of the big rugby guys, and I remember him coming to me and he, and he says to me, "He used to walk like this," and he says to me, "Hey, do you think you're Jesus or something?" I was preaching to people; people were getting saved, and I remember feeling so hurt. I remember being discouraged. I remember thinking to myself, like, "Well, I'm just trying to do this." I'm just trying to do the right thing. But guys are teasing me and people are misunderstanding me. Amen? Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. What are the greater things that you're not yet doing right now? What are the greater things that Jesus has said, you will do even greater if you believe in me? Are you bound by a misbelief that says, you know what, my life will just be average. I'll just be mediocre. I'll just, be a, I'll just live a normal suburban lifestyle. Some of you have believed the lie of the enemy and so you're not free in fulfilling your purpose. You've believed the lie of the enemy that says, you know what, it's just you and it's just us four and no more. If you've got two kids. Two kids. Amen? You will do greater works. In the book of Psalms 139 verse 16, it says, You saw me. This is David speaking of what God did. You saw me before I was born. That's, how, that's, that's wonderful. So it doesn't matter what the circumstance of your birth was. It doesn't matter how you were conceived. He saw you before. Your purpose was before Your birth. Amen. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That's how special you are to God. There's six dimensions of self-esteem. There's a sense of significance, which means I matter. Do you feel like you matter? When you walk into a room, do you feel like your presence is felt? When you arrive home, do you feel celebrated? Do you feel like you matter as a mother? Do you feel like you matter as a father? Do you feel like you matter to your husband? The next dimension of self-esteem is self-acceptance. Are you comfortable with who you are? With how you look? How many of you know that there are certain things that you can't really change? Okay, I know nowadays we try to change a lot of things, but there are certain things you can't really change. But have you accepted that? If you're a tall person, have you embraced your height, even though you struggle when you're in, the, on an, air, in an airplane? Theo, okay? But have you embraced it? Do you like it about yourself? If you're short, have you embraced it? Self-acceptance doesn't mean that you won't work on certain things that you don't like about yourself, especially the things that you can work on. Maybe you've got a bad temper. But self-acceptance is that God accepts me as I am. I don't have to perform in order to be accepted by him. How do you reinforce self-acceptance in a family setting? It's where you celebrate the unique. Aspects of the people in your family. It's where you're able to say, you know what, I know this aspect of my wife will never change, but you still rejoice in the person and they feel they're accepted for who they are. They don't have to perform to be loved by you. Amen? A sense of security is another dimension of self esteem. A sense of security comes from two words, say and cura in the Latin. It means without care. Where you're not always worried, where you're not always anxious, where you believe, like Bob Marley said in his song, every little thing is gonna be alright. You've got a mindset that knows everything is gonna be alright, it will work out. Sometimes my wife, I can give her a hug and she'll say, This is home. I can give her a hug and she'll say, I think everything is gonna be fine. Are you reinforcing a sense of security in the people around you? Are you making your children feel secure? There are things that we can do to make each other feel more secure amen self-efficacy or self-confidence this is very important this is that sense of i know i can do it i've got it i've got it done i can do all things through christ who strengthens me yes amen how confident are you you know one of the most common phrases that you hear from children with my kids, when they're on holiday and we're watching them doing stuff, one of the most common phrases that comes from their lips is, Daddy, watch me do this. Daddy, so who's better at soccer, me or my brothers? And you know what I'll say, we're all the same. What is happening? Children are looking for that self-efficacy, that self-confidence, that sense of validation, that You've got it. You can do it. Some of you are in a space where you are so smart. You're so intelligent. But because your self-efficacy is low, because you feel you can't really achieve greatness, what happens? You reject yourself before you can reject, be rejected. You shy away from opportunities. Amen? If I look at the disciples, if I look at the first apostles, they were not that educated, most of them. They were fishermen, some of them, tax collectors, etc. But what happened? The spirit of boldness came upon them when they were filled, when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they stepped out and they did great things. What space are you in right now in terms of self efficacy? Think about it. Next one self respect. Self respect. A lot of times people fall into sin because they don't respect themselves enough. How I many of you know that if you are verbally abused by an authority figure as you are growing up, your mindset would be, okay, well, they say I'm a dirty person. They say I'm a whore. They say I'm this, so let me just live that out. Let me just live that out because this is what they're saying about me. And you have no respect for yourself, a sense of dignity. Some of you, maybe it was an ex-husband Maybe it was an abusive relationship that you were in, and they called you certain things, and you've embraced what they said about you. How many of you know that there's no freedom there unless you're freed from their words and the impact thereof? And then a strong sense of self worth. Do you believe you are worth something before you've performed? You see, some of you in this room feel like you have to have performed before you are worthy. But how many of you know that when God the Father said to his son Jesus, said to everyone, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus had not yet done a miracle. When Jesus was being baptized, he had not yet performed. So what happens? He was being validated and affirmed by his father before he had performed. And that validation and affirmation of our worth causes us to do great things. Amen. So we do great things from a place of God has affirmed me as opposed to let me first do the great things then God will affirm me. Some of you have come to church this morning and in your mind you don't feel worthy and you feel like you have to pay some kind of penance. Remember back in the day in the medieval times. Penance. It's instead of embracing what Jesus did for us on the cross, we are now trying to make up for our sin. So we beat ourselves up. Self-flagellation, it's called. Right? I must pay my dues. I must suffer. I must suffer because of all the terrible things I've done. Jesus has already done it on the cross for you. Jesus has already suffered for you. Amen. Amen. You are worth so much just as you are. Just as you are. Number six. In our families, we need to reinforce a sense of understanding. A sense of understanding. How many of you know that the desire to be understood is to communication what oxygen is to the lungs? The desire to be understood is to communication what oxygen is to the lungs. People are desperate to be understood. We are desperate to be understood. And if I say to you, who's your best friend? You will say, It's so and so. And I'll say, Why? You say they understand me. They get me. They know where I'm coming from. I'm not stressed out when I'm around them, Paul, because they just get me. In our families, we must reinforce a sense of understanding that you know what? I get where this person is coming from. I don't agree with everything that they do, but I get them. Amen. Just like God the Father gets us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, reading from 11 to 13, verse 11 to 13, it says, we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and we've opened wide our hearts to you. I mean, if you know that, it's good to be in relationship where you can open your heart wide to people. I didn't say to everyone, but there must be some people in your life where you actually open your heart wide. So Paul, the apostle, is saying, we opened wide our hearts to you. And then he says, we're not withholding our affection from you. Some of you have been so bruised in this life that you are withholding your affection from everyone around you. Everyone around you, you're withholding, you've withdrawn. How many of you know that you cannot compartmentalize numbing, can you? You can't compartmentalize numbing. So in other words, if I'm numbing myself because I've been rejected, because I've experienced pain, I'm also numbing myself, not just to pain, but also to the good stuff, to joy. And that's why I've, and I'll preach on this next week and the week after on unlocking joy. But when you numb yourself from pain, You're numbing yourself from joy. That's why you can only experience the fullness of joy when you've known how to tap into some degree of sorrow. A lot of people numb themselves from sorrow and so they struggle to experience joy. I find it interesting how the scripture continues and he says, but you are withholding yours from us. Verse 13, as a fair exchange. He didn't have a problem sharing his needs. Some of you can use this as a script. As a fair exchange, I speak, to, I speak as to my children. Open your hearts wide also. There should be father figures in your life. Remember he says, I speak to you as my children. There should be father figures in your life where you are able to open wide your heart. My question to you is, is your heart closed to fathers in your life? Just look at that, look at that. It says, as a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children. He's not saying, you must do this to everyone. I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts also. You see, you can only experience true understanding, true emotional intimacy in your relationships with people if there's some degree of vulnerability. That's the place of freedom. That's the place of freedom. Be willing to make yourself... Vulnerable. How I many of you know that it's easier to do this if you grew up doing this? It's easier to do this if you're in a family setting where you didn't learn how to shield yourself from danger. Some of you for the first 12 years of your lives, as your personality was being formed, as you're growing up into who you are today, what happened? You trained yourself to be numbed, to protect yourself. And then you get into a marriage situation and you still have that habit. People who were abused, particularly with sexual abuse, abuse, you find that they'll be drawn to someone because they want to be close. But as soon as they get close, they're associated intimacy with pain. And what happens? They then withdraw. And the other person feels like, listen, you just need to make a decision. Do you want to marry me or don't you? Because you come close, 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 and then you withdraw. And some people then get married and that pattern continues. And, and the moment you love them more, the moment you attended to them, they'll always come up with something. And it's something that's fabricated because the mindset they have is, I cannot be loved. And if, I lo- if I'm loved, love is a painful thing. They associate love with pain. Amen? Romans chapter 12, verse 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Guys, if we deepen our relationships, we can only do so through empathy. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice. One of the worst experiences in life is where you're so excited about something and someone looks at you with a blank face. Have you ever had that? You're like, this is happening and God has done this and so on, and they literally can't relate. Yeah? I still remember in my varsity days, I was so excited because someone got saved. And I remember speaking to a certain circle of friends and they weren't the extremely radical Christians. And one of the, it was a girl who was there, there was a mixed group of people. And one of the girls, after I said, hey, and so-and-so got saved and it's really exciting. And one of these girls just, she looked at me and says, it's interesting, Paul, the things that get you excited. <laughs> and it dawned on me there, I, I, re- I was like, is this person actually saved? I thought they were saved, but I obviously missed something here. Amen. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Who is around you who's rejoicing? I have a problem with people who only rejoice when something is going well in their lives, and they can't rejoice when things are going well in your life. You know the people I'm talking about. Alright? Who's got something to rejoice about? Childhood and merciful. Rejoice with them, even if you're still waiting for your breakthrough. If someone has a breakthrough in business, rejoice with them. It's a principle. It's something you do. In our families, very often we find our kids. They come back and they're so excited about something that's happening in their world. Like I got this prize at school and this happened and that happened. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we can't fully relate as parents. And sometimes we're like, yeah, 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 cool. Yada, yada, yada. Right, if we're honest with ourselves. But it's about getting into that child's world and realizing that from a perspective of a small child, a young boy, whether they're 9, 11, 7, 8, from their perspective, there's something exciting. Rejoice when a child is rejoicing. Rejoice when your wife is rejoicing about things that you might not rejoice about. Let's say your wife, husbands has just got a new outfit. Oh look, my love, I got this and this and this. In your mind you're thinking, okay, Um, the narrative has continued for more than 30 seconds now. This woman doesn't realize that I'm not a girl. She can rejoice like that with her girlfriends, but I'm a dude, okay? I just need the highlights. Cool, nice outfit. No, the Bible says rejoice when other people are rejoicing. Are you feeling me? And that deepens your relationship. Ladies, when your husband is rejoicing about some business breakthrough or something that husbands are into, Whatever the husbands here are into, <laughs> their, their soccer team has won. My wife really tries hard, you know. <laughs> so, my love, oh, how do you feel? Your team has done well, mm. and I can see she's trying to be the good wife. But I can see it's neither here nor there Well, my team loses. Or a more, uh, let me just give a more realistic thing, reality, when my team has a draw, okay? (laughs) She can see I'm looking a bit sad, okay? But what does she do? She's like, oh, my love, sorry, your team, that must be annoying. Hey, your team has drawn. Mm." And then she moves on. (laughs) All right. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. How much empathy are you showing in your family right now? You see, judgment is suspended when you have empathy. Love hopes all things. In other words, you believe the best about someone around you. You get them. I don't agree with what you did, but I can see why you did it. And we show them that particular love. You know, one of the most warm feelings that someone can experience is knowing that you're trusted. Often if my wife says to me, my love, just go for it. If I ask for her opinion, she says, just go for it. I know you'll make a wise choice. If she says that to me, it's a warm feeling. We want to feel trusted. Amen? That's a sense of empathy. There are three types of empathy. The first type is emotional empathy. That's I feel you. If I have a headache, if I have a migraine, and you come and you say, oh, Paul, where is it sore? Oh, oh, Is it it a migraine? What did you eat? Right? You're showing me empathy. You might not do something about it, but that's emotional empathy. The second type of empathy is cognitive empathy. What is cognitive empathy? It's I get you. It's like I'm following your logic. Okay, I can see why you made that decision. What's the third type of empathy? It's called empathic concern or empathetic concern. And that's basically I'm here for you. Story I often tell is there was a time when my wife was feeling sick some years ago, and she said to me, my love, I'm not feeling well, so I'm trying to be the hero. And I'm like, cool, I'll sort out the kids. I've sorted out their food. I'll sort out this and that. I've got it all done. She came to me a bit later on, and she says to me, my love, I don't know if you really understand how I'm feeling. It's like there's this thing sitting on my head. And she started going into the details of how she was feeling. Of course, I got defensive. And I said, of course I know how you're feeling. That's why I've been doing this, 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 this. But because I understood this principle, I was able to say to her, my love, you know what's actually happening? What you need right now is emotional empathy. I feel you. What I'm giving you right now is empathic concern. I'm here for you. Very often people need all three. Are you feeling me this morning? Very often people actually need all three. Because you might say I'm here for you and do all sorts of things, but you might not be showing the emotional empathy. I feel you. If those of you in leadership, in organizations, if someone comes to you and they say, my child is sick, I need time off, and they're your star performer, and you need them at work, ask them the follow-through questions. Which child is it? What's wrong with them? How are you feeling about it? If you just show them empathic concern, I'm here for you. And you say, it's fine. You can go. Your child is important. We'll cover for you. And then two days later, they come back. But you don't ask them a follow through question about where they're at. And how they're feeling about what happened to their child. They'll feel like, yes, you guys were here for me. But I don't know if anyone really feels me in this place. You didn't show them emotional empathy. You didn't open up your heart wide to them. Amen. We need that in our families. There are times when with our children, we have to show them empathy. One of the things we started to learn is that when our our kids come home and they start saying, this person did this to me, we must not be too quick to come up with a solution. But we saw that our children began to open up deeper to us at a deeper level. When we said, oh, so how did you feel, Samuel, when that happened? And all of a sudden, they start saying all sorts of things. And we ask three questions deep, and we ask four questions deep. Those are healthy relationships that every family should have. I want to ask you this morning, what type of questions do you ask the people in your family? Do you just say, how was work? Fine. How was your work? Fine. And it ends there. Many of you struggle with that because in the family that you were part of when you were growing up, it was non-reflexive. What do we mean when we say non-reflexive? Many of us are from what we call non-reflexive cultures. What do we mean? It's where your emotional state is not important. How many of you can say to me, who's Zulu speaking here? Right? How many of you ever went home to your parents and said, Dad, I'm feeling really insecure with my headmaster? What is, the word? what is the Zulu word for insecure? You see, there's some of these words you have to look up in dictionaries. Do you know why we haven't got a lot of these words in our own languages? Your words are your thoughts in symbolic form. So when we don't think of something conceptually, we don't have a word for it. You understand that, right? Someone got it. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Number seven, recreation. It's important that in our families we have fun. Say to the person next to you, we need to have fun. (laughs) You know that whenever I work with teams in the corporate world, whenever I work with teams, I say to them, what are the marks of a great team? 100% of the time without fail someone one of the things they'll say is we had fun then I say to them what does fun look like 100% of the time they say to me we laughed if you're in a family today and there's no laughter there's a dysfunction there if you go through days and people are not laughing there's a dysfunction laughter is a gift that God has given us God wants you to have fun And and the honest truth is some of you are too serious. And you know what the deeper problem is? It's a problem when people are too serious and they take themselves too seriously. But you know what the deeper problem is? When they don't think it's a problem. Seriously, when they don't think it's a problem. You see, some people were brought up in families. I know certain families, if you'd visit them, it's like everyone is like a robot. Everyone is like a soldier, right? And today when they're in the workplace, they can't relax with their boss and crack a few jokes because in their minds, whenever you're around authority figures, you have to be serious. I see some of you. When I'm not there, oh, you're laughing around with your people, your people, like I'm not part of you, right? (laughs) Then I pitch up and all of a sudden people are like this. And what is that? I'm a laughy, jokey person. So it shows me that in this person's upbringing there's this thing in their brain when an authority figure is there you don't laugh you don't joke fathers mothers relax i'm being serious relax you know what the bible says first timothy chapter 6 verse 17 command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with some things, with everything. For what? For what? For what? So God wants you to enjoy life in the right way. Don't use this as license now, like, hey, I'm going to enjoy life. The pastor said we can enjoy life. We've been released. No. For our enjoyment. You know what laughter does to you, to your body? And I'll talk about it when I talk about joy next week. What laughter actually does to your physical body, um, within your brain, right? They're neurotransmitters in your brain, right? Peptides in your brain called endorphins. You've heard of endorphins, right? Now that word endorphin, it's two words. It's endogenous, which means growing within, right? Endogenous morphine morphine or like morphine in other words it's our own self-generated morphine it's got an analgesic effect in other words it blocks pain temporarily that's why if you've got a headache and you pack out laughing are you still feeling the pain of the headache while you're laughing all right laughter guys is good and if you're not laughing there's a problem sometimes just laugh at yourself my wife does that quite a lot you know Sometimes she'll tell me a story about an experience she's having, you know, running, training, or whatever it is. And she'll just be laughing. And that's powerful for your mood. Amen? God wants us to enjoy life. Recreation is important. It's also important for couples. If you want to have a fair proof marriage, an affair-proof marriage, one of the things is recreational companionship with your spouse. If they're always on their own mission doing things that they enjoy and you're always on your own mission doing your stuff and, they, and never the twain shall meet and there's nothing in common that you enjoy doing together, it's not healthy for the relationship. Amen? And don't be quick to now say to your wife, yeah, so you must start doing my stuff. <laughs> be willing to do their stuff too. I've been to a few orchestras in my time. I've, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jogged certain distances in my time my wife would like me to do more okay, I'd prefer the sprints but anyway she says to me my love, let's just do some sprinting outside then I'm game Okay, she says my love, let's run 21Ks I'm like, uh, actual uh. <laughs> number eight age appropriateness age appropriateness How many of you know that God has called us to protect the moral innocence of our children? And a lot of children today, their innocence has not been protected. They've been exposed to things that they shouldn't be exposed to. We have to let children be children. Sometimes we also have this mindset where we think children, if they become little adults very early, then it's a good thing. So if your nine-year-old is now doing amazing adult things and acting like a grown-up, we praise them for it. Okay, But I want to tell you this morning that children must be allowed to be children. I'm not saying they must be rude. They must be allowed to be children. Children play. Now at some of the private schools and some of the schools nowadays, there's no time for playing anymore. Have you noticed that? It's like there's always something. Sometimes my wife and I will sit down and we'll be like, it's so nice just hearing the kids playing outside. Why? Because it's homework, sports, this team, that team, and so on. Let them be children. I remember one time visiting some pastor friends of ours, and Samuel was very active as a young, young, little, little boy. He still is. He just manifests the, the sort of 11 year old version now. But anyway, literally, I mean, the days of city life, I mean, we would literally be, you know, in the, in the foyer outside the church. Literally, we ended up having those leads you know those leads, those leashes where you literally have to like pull your child back one day just ends up in the parking lot Phew! and we like chasing him and so on and I remember we visited some pastor friends of ours I remember I couldn't enjoy myself, I was so anxious because this guy, if I let go of him he's like bow, 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 bow. <laughs> but they've got, they've got older boys and so they've been through that and I still remember and I'll never forget when this pastor friend of mine says just let him go Because I thought he was just going to be on the loose and break things. He says, just leave him. Just let him go. We must allow children to be children. They aren't always going to get it right, guys. They aren't always going to get it right. Allow them to be children. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. We have to respect developmental stages in a child. If you grew up in a family where you had to grow up too quickly, where you had to look after all your siblings, but you were still a child. If you never had a childhood, it affects you today. Because there's that playful side you don't have anymore. I'm hoping that's landed. Number nine healthy discipline, healthy discipline. Proverbs 3, verse 11 to 12. The Bible says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. Now there are different types of discipline. There are those people where if you break something or you break uh, some glass thing, they're so angry that the glass thing has broken. If it was a plastic thing, they won't discipline you. But because of the consequences, they then discipline you harshly. But the behavior was the same. Are you following? The way we discipline our children should not be based on what ended up happening. It should be based on what they did. Are you following? There's some people, a child vomits on them. Oh, this is my expensive suit and so on. What are you doing? You must be careful. But if a child had just vomited and didn't touch your suit, then you're fine with it. You have different types of parenting styles. There's some people who are very permissive. You know the type of person who takes their child to school, gives their child a big hug, right? And then hugs them another five times and then gets into the car and feels, that wasn't enough. Let me hug the child the 72nd time now. (laughs) So they show a lot of affection, but very little discipline. And the children end up obnoxious. The children end up egotistical. The children end up having these temper tantrums as adults to manipulate everyone. They've got everyone around their little, they've wrapped everyone around their little baby finger. You know what I'm talking about? Then you have the other type of parent who's just absent. There's no affection and there's no discipline. Very often a parent who's addicted to something is like that. It's all about meeting their needs. It's not about meeting the needs of the family. Some of you grew up in environments like that and it's affected you. Then you have the other type of parent, it's all rules and regulations and there's no affection. And some of you say, but my dad was really great. My mom was really great, but there was no affection. And now your wife says, can you just hold my hand? Can you just give me a hug? I just want a hug, not sex, a hug. Are there kids here? Okay, there are a few kids, right? I just want a hug, but you don't know how to express physical affection without sexual intimacy. Because you didn't grow up with it. All you had were the rules and regulations. But the type of parent God is raising up today is a parent who's what we call the authoritative parent. They've got lots of authority in terms of disciplining their children, but also lots of love and affection that is expressed. That's the balance he wants us to grow up with. Amen. Ask yourself, how is that affecting me today? How is it affecting me today? Sometimes there's what we call compensation parenting, where because of how you were parented, you now go the other extreme. So because your parents were so strict... Now you're lax on everything, with everyone. Whether you've got kids or not, even your management style is like that. I remember meeting a particular lady one time, and she, I said, how do you discipline your kids? And she was saying to me, no, Paul, you know what? With, with us, we don't believe in discipline. We just flow. It's, it's a thing where the kids just figure it out on their own. It just emerges, the boundaries. We don't believe in boundaries. It's boundaryless parenting, Paul. We just, I said, were well, your parents very strict? Yes, yes, and we didn't want to be like that. The goal is to be what Father God is like. And the Bible tells us here that because the Lord disciplines those he loves, as a father, the son he delights in. Amen. Finally, number 10, spirituality. Every healthy family, every healthy family, every functional family should allow the individuals in the family to express their spirituality. How many of you know that we have different ways of expressing our spirituality? I remember when I was growing up and became a radical Christian, the first in my family and my extended family. It was very interesting as a young boy, and I would be teased for it. I wasn't given the freedom to fully express my spirituality. I would do it, but people would tease me until they all got saved and came on board. Amen. Are you allowing your children to express their spirituality? I still remember when my young brothers, my siblings got saved and they would start fasting and they would start praying and doing certain things. And sometimes there was that bigger brother syndrome of, you know, just, yeah, just, you know, just pace yourself, just, you know. Sometimes we do that with our spouses where we don't allow them to fully express what God has placed in them. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, I find it very powerful. It says, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learnt it. And how from infancy, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. There's no baby Holy Spirit. Sunera will like this. There's no baby Holy Spirit. From infancy, Timothy knew the Holy Scriptures as an infant. We're not even talking about someone in adolescence. We're talking about a little infant getting to know the Holy Scriptures. I want to encourage you, the children who are here, get to know Jesus very quickly. It'll save you from a a lot of heartache. I want to encourage you parents this morning, get your children to know the Lord Jesus from a young age. And make sure, guys, those of you who are not yet married, make sure you marry people who've got the weight and the stature to teach their children the ways of the Lord. When you're just girlfriend, boyfriend, you don't think about these things. You think, ah, cool, this person is okay. But is that person someone who can actually raise up your kids in the way of the Lord? There's a particular lady who we're friends with, and um, she was just sharing with us that, you know what, Um, it's so... Look, divorce is a terrible thing, okay? I don't endorse it. I don't encourage it. But she's in a situation where her husband literally left Christianity. And one of the things she said was, you know what? At home now, I feel freer to express my faith and to minister to my children than I did when he was there in the home. Some of you are in situations where even though your husbands, your spouses or wives are Christian, then you're unequally yoked, not quite at the same level. So whenever you want to pray in tongues, you feel like you have to go into a little closet because you don't want to offend them. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some of you grew up in families where you had to go to the traditional church with your parents in the morning, and in the evening you go to the charismatic church. I want to encourage you, make sure that you're equally yoked. You're on the same page with your spouse and make sure that you're in households where children from a young age are being raised up in the ways of the Lord without having, what is it called? The New International Reader's Version. Eh? Something like that. It's, it's similar to the NIV but what they do is they take the difficult words and make them simple. You can get them from KUM. Okay? Powerful. New International Reader's Version. That's it. It's N-I-small-R-V. Amen? Some of you are listening to this message and I know people sometimes like messages about when can I get my next breakthrough? This is how it's going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. We're going to build up families that are kingdom families in this church. It's central to our vision, building families. Amen? We're not mature Christians if we neglect this side. You can pray as much as you want. You can fast as much as you want. But we need to be good family people. And some of you, because of the families that you grew up in, You affected here and now God doesn't want this to pass on to the next generation. He wants you restored, healed, freed up. So we pass on something healthy to the next generation. Let's pray.